What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today is a very special episode of the podcast. We are doing something different. Um, there's no specific guest. Um, I've been asking people on Facebook via Skype uh, to tell me in about five minutes what their most memorable and or like a recent concert experience that has really stuck with them. It feels like... Uh, so many like early crazy memories of mine came from concert environments. So I thought it'd be cool to hear other people's stories and um, also share one of my own. Um, we have, let's see, six stories uh, from a bunch of different people. Um, Lex gives us a producer, Lex. He's uh, he's on board with the Live Free podcast now. Uh, he does. Uh, he gives us a story about Mr. Big in San Diego uh, Nate Nanzer comes on. He tells a story about Wu-Tang in Washington, D.C. My boy Luis tells a story about the Swedish House Mafia in Los Angeles. Uh, Cole Rambo tells a story about um, the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival in San Francisco. Evo Love, who has also been on the podcast before, tells a story about Sugar Hill Gang in Miami. And Alex tells a story about Das Damen at CBGB's in New York City in the 80s. So um, I guess we're going to, well, I'm just, I think I'm going to make this like a regular segment, just keep collecting stories here and there and uh, share them with you if you guys like it. If you want to share one of your stories with me, um, just hit me up on Facebook or on Twitter. You can find me at Mike Maxwell Art and we'll set up a little Skype chat and you can tell me your story and I'll record it. So for me, I guess. Probably my most memorable concert experience. It's funny. There's a lot of similarities between all these stories. Like there's little like ties that make everything sort of similar. And it seems like the one variable that shows up a lot is mind altering substances uh, like LSD or marijuana or actually cannabis. I don't call it marijuana anymore. It's cannabis um, or alcohol, of course. So uh, for me, LSD played a very strong role in my story. Um, when I was, I guess I was 15, because I, I didn't have my license yet. Uh, so I, I believe I was 15 um, in 94. God, I guess we could do the math and then I could figure out if I'm right or wrong. But 94, 95 uh, in December, my buddy Matt and I got tickets to see The Grateful Dead in Los Angeles at the, uh, at the sports arena. Or I don't know what it's called there. The Los Angeles Sports Arena, I guess. Looks like a big fucking spaceship. I guess, it, well, it did when I was on heavy amounts of LSD. So we, my buddy and I got tickets. Um, so I was a really big Grateful Dead fan, which I guess maybe people wouldn't expect from me, maybe. I'm not sure. But, like, I collected, you know, I had boxes full of, of bootleg tapes. And, like, I would record episodes of uh oh shit what was it dead ahead i think it used to come on the radio um when i was a teenager i'd record that shit and the whole environment was very interesting to me so like for people who have never been to a grateful dead concert it's a it's a total fucking scene so first off me and my buddy we jump on the train and ride up to los angeles um my dad was working a job there uh he lives in san diego but at the time he had an another apartment in Los Angeles. So um, we stayed with him, took the train up. My buddy actually took acid on the train ride up there. Fuck, I wonder if we took the bus. We may have taken the Greyhound bus, but it feels like we took the train. And it was really strange. For a 15-year-old, I don't know how I did it, but I had a huge stack of cash for me at the time, which maybe was like 300 bucks or something, you know, like, but it was a shitload of money for just for a concert for a 15-year-old. And I, had, I must have been saving up and doing weird little jobs to get the cash or whatever. So we get into Los Angeles and hang out the first night. And then the concert was the next night. So my dad's friend ended up dropping us off at the sports arena. And was funny, like gave me an extra 40 bucks for some reason. Like I <laughs> didn't know that I had a bunch of cash. So I was like, well, we'll buy weed with that. Um, which we bought plenty of weed and what have you. So we get to the parking lot and it's a fucking scene. Anybody who's ever been to a Grateful Dead concert will obviously know this, but there's no other concert experience in a parking lot that comes anywhere close. It's like uh, it's like tailgating during the Super Bowl. It's fucking packed. 
people are everywhere and people will start um selling merchandise people have not merchandise maybe not the right word to use but people will make shirts and food and all sorts of different things to sell in the parking lot because it's basically a traveling circus a lot of the people will go from show to show and will sell stuff in the parking lot as a way to make money to go to the next show so not only that but everyone's selling acid and weed and uh who knows what else so what what people do is they walk by and they whisper in your ear in your ear like hits or uh what would they say like kind bud i guess because before this was prior to there being a ton of different strain names like we see now with uh with high quality cannabis, but at the time, I had probably only smoked the majority of Mexican like dirt weed, like brick weed that came up from TJ, and that shit is terrible, just full of seeds or whatever. And at some point, I had tried Chronic. What it was, I think Chronic was the word at the time because I figured Dr. Dre's album may have been out already. Um, well, yeah, it was for sure, and uh, maybe not for sure, but I think it was. So. Like, people would walk by and say, kind bud, or uh, weed, or hits, or LSD, or whatever, in your ear as you walked by. Now, mind you, my buddy and I had already taken um, two infrared roses hits, which, uh, for people who don't know about blotter LSD paper, it usually has little imprinted um, designs on them, and they're broken up on perforated paper, so... Uh, these ones had infrared roses on them and were strong as fuck. So I think we took them on the way to the show or just before we left to go to the show. So as soon as we get to the parking lot situation, things started to escalate. Such a fucking strange scene, except especially for somebody who's a 15-year-old has never experienced that. Even though, you know, I had already kind of been partying and doing shit for a while, um, I... I knew like the crowd because I hung out with a lot of uh, like deadhead types. So we're walking around and if I think the hits are starting to kick in and we had bought a bag of weed off somebody and it, it seriously like the strongest weed I had smoked to date. Like at some point, come on, Pete. Oh, I guess we're going to have to pause the story. I think Crystal's home. Hello. Hi. I'm recording my story right now. You want to sit in and listen to the story? Sure. All right. Crystal brought coffee home. Yay. This will make the story better now that I have some espresso in my system. And cake pops. Uh-oh. Dirty cake pops. I've uh, I've been eating the shit out of cake pops lately. And I feel like uh, a little ashamed when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> like it feels like I'm a five-year-old like eating a cake lollipop. But they're fucking good. Um, so we're in the parking lot. And the hits are starting to kick in. At some point, we linked up with some guy that was just standing next to a car. I feel like I know that we had a pipe, but I think we were looking for a bong, or I, I don't know what the fuck we were doing. But we ended up getting high with this one dude, and his weed tasted like lemons. It was very fucking strange, and I, I'll, I'll remember that to the day I die. Like I, did, I thought maybe we smoked opium or something, just because it was so. It had such a fucking different taste and i was starting to get high from the lsd so come on pete relax so at uh i guess just soon after that there was a like a vw van that was right next to us and i don't know what the fuck how it came about but we one of us knocked on the door and there was a couple inside and they let us in uh two random 15 year old kids these adults let us into their volkswagen van I, maybe because we told them we had the weed. Who knows? But we end up getting high with them. And it literally, as soon as we stepped out of the van door, is like total like dazed and confused moment. Like all the smoke billowing out of the door. The LSD really kicks in. And so like things are fucking stressful. As anyone knows, like at the beginning of an LSD trip, things start to get fucking weird. You feel like awkward. Meanwhile, there's uh, drum circles and all sorts of shit going on. It was, and I'm making it sound kind of like... Like I was that stressed, but it was fun too. So at some point we're like, all right, we got to go inside. So we go into the concert and for some reason I, we, we go to buy a shirt first, which, you know, you always buy the shirt at the end of the concert. I don't know what the fuck we were doing. So I end up buying like six shirts. It's total fucking totally ridiculous. 
this all the like the images on the shirts. The Grateful Dead were really well known for having overtly artistic T-shirts, like multicolor, like lots of fucking different shit going on, like cartoons. And my dog is just not going to make this podcast happen. God damn it! Relax, dog. And so the T-shirts are like literally moving. It, there is one specific one that I loved forever, and I feel like it's still at my mom's house somewhere, maybe. Um, but it was this black T-shirt, and it was like a ship—not a ship of fools. It was a—it was a lighthouse, and everything on the shirt was moving around, and like it was almost like a little TV screen on a T-shirt. And something about all that just fascinated the shit out of me. So I was like, I want that one. I think I bought everyone that was moving up on the wall. And so now I have a, I, I, we probably had a backpack or something, but the backpack's now full of t-shirts, um, which is ridiculous. So we get into the show and it was a, you know, a super fun show at one like major point uh, for people who know about Grateful Dead live shows in the middle, they'll do this thing called space and drums, which is, uh, I guess, a way to have a bit of an intermission, but it's a very like just psychedelic noise section for close to like 20 minutes. So in the middle of the show, just all of a sudden it turns into like the weirdest space sounds. And then it goes into just like a long drum solo that the two drummers like work this thing out together. So while that's happening, like I'm looking at the stage and all of a sudden the stage and like the entire image in front of me, breaks into thirds so like the left side of the stage like cracks off and like shoots off to the left side of my peripheral vision and disappears then the right side does the same thing shoots off to the right side and disappears from my peripheral vision and the center just disappears and there's a moment where i'm just sitting in what seems to be outer space so i what looks like just a completely dark area with like stars and little twinkling lights and shit and I was in the middle of this space song, of course, like, and it was probably one of the most intense psychedelic, psychedelic visuals that I've ever had in my life. And I've taken a lot of psychedelics, but nothing had ever, ever, and since then, nothing besides salvia, and I've never tried DMT, so I'm sure DMT is very similar, but nothing had compared with the LSD and mushrooms and shit that I'd taken before. Nowhere close. So literally I'm sitting out in the middle of space tripping the fuck out. And like I shake my head and rub my eyes and kind of pull it back together. Which I, for anyone who's experienced psychedelics, you kind of have those moments where shit just gets like beyond your control. And you kind of got to like focus and center and get back to yourself um, to be able to get kind of back to some level of normalcy. Um, so we end up getting out of the show. The show is fantastic. There was these, um, Jerry Garcia, uh, transparencies, like his head cut out of a transparency that were passed around. Like people were just passing them around. And as soon as I got a hold of one, I kept it. It was like, fuck this shit. I'm not giving this to nobody. Like there, they had some sort of strong connection for me. So I had to keep it. And I still have it to this day, like in my box. Oh shit. Somewhere. Uh, I should make some. And just like start sending them to people, just Jerry Garcia heads on transparencies. It'd be fun. Um, so we, we get out of the show and realize, okay, we need to get the fuck out of downtown Los Angeles. Is that where the LA Sports Arena is? Wherever it was, it was like, it seemed sketchy as fuck for two 15-year-old skinny white boys. Um, and I had to try to call my dad to come pick us up. So we like cross the street. And try to find a payphone. There's some shady ass fool by the payphone. Meanwhile, we're still really high on LSD. We got a bunch of weed, a bunch of money and shit. And so I'm like, man, this is not good. We should not stick around this place for very long. So we're like, hey, let's go back over into the parking lot. And I, I couldn't, I told, I called my dad and I would pay to hear what that phone call sounded like now. But I feel like I asked him to pick us up and then was like, no, we're going to take a taxi. Like, I don't know how the fuck it changed. But so we go back to the parking lot, which is, again, a big fucking scene. But this time the cops are there and they're trying to get all the deadheads out of the parking lot. So everyone's there like partying, playing drums and, you know, doing whatever. And I look over and there's a line of riot cops, you know, full riot gear, maybe like 30 of them shoulder to shoulder 
like you see in a riot where they're like hitting the stick on the the shield like and so they start walking towards the crowd and the crowd is like getting uneasy you could feel like because i'm on lsd you could you almost sense the tension in a different way and so they basically want to get the everyone the fuck out of there so as they're like pushing everyone away i see another cop car uh just off to the distance like on the corner of the lot and i was like hey matt we need to get the fuck out of here so he was pretty high too i felt like i was a little bit on like i had i was taking care of him a little bit to some extent so i walk over to this i'm like we need to figure out how to get a cab I don't, I had, I don't think I'd ever hailed a cab before. I had probably never, I may have never even ridden in a cab yet. Um, and, uh, that's not true. I think I've ridden in some in high school and maybe in TJ, but so I, I was in Los Angeles. I was like, I don't know. I have fucking have any idea how I'm going to get a cab. So I walk over to this police officer. Meanwhile, I am high on LSD high and ask the police officer if he could help me get a cab. Which, thinking back on it now, must have looked fucking totally ridiculous. But luckily the cop was helpful. He said, hey, uh, all right, I called a cab for you. Just go wait on the corner over there. So we go and chill on the corner for a second. And the cabbie picks us up. And we get in the car. And, of course, I don't know Los Angeles. And I always have this feeling that anyone who is uh, a cabbie is going to try to take the like long route to charge you more money or you know how like cabbies will hit the gas and then lay off the gas and slam on the gas and it seems like it, it seems like it has some effect on the meter i was very paranoid that this guy was trying to like like go a different route like i had no idea where we were going and now knowing where we were at in relation now because i know los angeles it was a fucking pretty far taxi ride so it would probably have cost a, a fair amount of money um which again, we still had money, so I don't think it was a problem. But so by the time we get to where we were getting dropped off at, um, it came time to pay for the cab, and I don't know if it was a language barrier or just being totally high. But at some point, I couldn't figure out exactly how much money he wanted, and I think there was some problems with counting money too. Like it just was not going smoothly. Like the transaction was not working. So I ended up just like crumpling up some money in a ball and some change and threw it through the little like plastic. They had like a bulletproof glass between the or the plastic in between the driver's side and the back seat. And it had like a little fold up plastic door. So I just like threw the money in there and asked him if that was good for him. I said, is that good for you? Kind of like trying to get a, a reality of did I give him enough money? Did I give him too much money? What happened? I wasn't really sure how it went, but he kind of thought that I think that we were trying to rip him off, which was funny since that was my main concern going looping around all the freeways on Los Angeles. And he ended up like yelling. He got all pissed and was like, get the fuck out of the car, you know, in a mean Arab accent of some sort. And, uh, we ended up going back into the apartment and, Instead, like I was my eye, my pupils must have been the size of quarters because I walked in and I was like, uh, there's no way I'm having a conversation with my dad while high on LSD. And I was like, hey, we're tired going to bed, which, of course, I was anything but tired. Um, went and hid in the room for like an hour until he went to sleep. And then we ended up like staying up all night, like ran around outside in uh, Los Angeles and got loose. Um, so that was my like shit 20 minute story now sorry i made everybody else tell a five minute story and i went loose and on a 20 minute story so that was my story um i hope you guys enjoy the rest of them and again if you want to send in a story and have it be on the podcast i'm gonna start collecting them over time and as i get a few each time i'll post them up so make sure you go check out mikemaxwellart.com click on the podcast you can subscribe in itunes and all that fucking shit uh, follow me on Twitter and Facebook, and you'll be able to uh, also tell a story. So, with all that said, let's start this thing off with uh, producer Lex and his story about Mr. Big. Recently, I went to go see uh, this like '80s supergroup called Mr. Big uh, here at Fourth and B in San Diego, uh-huh. and uh, I went there. On the notion to only have two drinks because I was driving. <laughs> and it turned out to be I got sloshed. 
Nice. Uh, my phone died, so I had to call a cab to go get my wife in the same cab. So it's like 40 minutes, 40 minute driving. Uh-huh. I place to go pick up my car again. So it was like a hundred dollar cab ride because I had my phone, my phone died. So what did, did you have to use a pay phone? Yes, I did. No, I used someone else's phone at the concert. Uh-huh. I was like, my phone died. I need to call a cab. I was like, so, okay, go so here. what you're telling me is that the, the most memorable part of it was getting wasted on accident and then having to spend a bunch of extra money. Yeah. <laughs> right out the gate, Lex. Are you going to go negative on me right out the gate? No, well, dude, uh, well, okay, okay, so, um... Well, how did you get so drunk? Yeah, I'm a drunk. But how did you get so drunk if you only... I was having a good time. It was like a show. Um, (laughs) Basically, it was, I was seeing, like, one of my guitar idols on stage, and I just was into the moment, and drinks kept coming, or I kept going up to the bar. No one was bringing me drinks. I I was physically going to get... (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that, I think, like, ten drinks in, I was like, oh, shit. Ten drinks? Drunk. Yeah. It took you that long before you realized, oh, shit, I got too drunk? Uh, well, that's when the concert ended. And when the lights turn on, you know, it's it's, it's all, like, you know, sitting, standing. When the lights, are, when the lights turn on, you're like, oh, shit. I'm pretty fucked right now. Yeah, that's when reality sets in. You don't really realize it because all the lights are out and you're in the moment. Yeah. You have all that adrenaline? At that moment, I realized how much I've consumed, and yeah, but the show was fucking great. So, I think the moral of the story is that even though you drank 10 beers and got shithouse wasted, you made the right decision and got cabs and paid the extra fee and and paid the price for your your fun, I guess. Yes, I did, yeah. (laughs) Did you have a hangover the next day? I don't remember. No, I. you know what? Maybe I did, but I drank more the next day. Yeah. So it was an '80s band because I didn't I didn't recognize the name. You said Mr. Big, oh, Mr. Big, yeah, Mr. Big was. Uh, I forget their singer's name. Um, is it the guy from Faith No More? No, that's Mr. <laughs> Bungle. I fucking hate Mr. Bungle. So many people love it, and I just can't stand it. I hate that. The the whole up. <laughs> All right, that's cool. Well, um, I'm just recording little like five minute jams. All right, man. But yeah. Um, what is it? Their guitarist is Paul Gilbert, one of my favorite guitarists. Their bassist is Billy Sheehan, uh-huh. another big bassist. Those are the two I know, but the other two I don't know. But yeah, that was my most memorable. All right, thanks, Lex, and we'll um, we'll be in touch. Producer Lex, he's, um we're getting you on board full time, right? With, yep. with the Live Free podcast. Yep. All right, we're gonna work out some shit and really get. <laughs> we're gonna work some shit out and get working. Yeah. All right, man. All right, brother. Thank you. Late, late. Nathan. Yo, what up, brother? What's up, my friend? I'm actually wearing your uh, your fucking monkey t-shirt today. Nice. I can't see on the Skype. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't have the video on because I'm on my phone. Oh, okay. That's fine. My, uh, my most memorable concert story would be probably from when I was living in Washington, D.C., uh, it was probably like 2000 because I think Supreme clientele had just come out. Uh-huh. So it was probably like the spring of 2000. And it was Ghost, Raekwon, Inspected Deck, maybe some other hangers-ons. Uh-huh. I don't really remember. Anyway, it was at a club in D.C. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know how familiar you are with the demographic makeup of Washington, D.C. But uh, well, Please explain for those who aren't. Well, the the hip hop station in DC when I was living there, their call sign, you know, they would say like, "Oh, welcome to you know, uh, like what does ninety one X say? You know, the where rock music lives or some bullshit." Like yeah, that. yeah, anyway, yeah, sure. Uh, the the hip hop station in DC used to say, "Chocolate City's finest." <laughs> <laughs> I just so, watched um, Django or Django Unlimited. Is that what it's called? Oh, Django Unchained. Yeah. Unchained <laughs> Unlimited. <laughs> That sounds like a cell phone plan. I know, right? Yeah, I just watched that for the first time last night. And I was curious if, uh, like, how uncomfortable it would have been to, like, watch it in D.C. Like, be, like, the only white guy in the theater would have been so fun to watch that movie. <laughs> well, like that. it's funny because, so D.C. has, like, 
three major universities, mm-hmm. one of which I was attending at the time. So those campuses and areas are made up predominantly of transient white kids. But the, the makeup, at least certainly in the time, I think it's changed a fair amount these days. Like yeah. DC has been gentrified quite, quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but when I moved there in 97, like, you know, I remember like college orientation, people telling me like, you know, don't go east of 14th street. <laughs> right. Uh, and which it's so, all, it's all like crack cocaine issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, in the eighties and nineties, DC was like the most dangerous city in America. Yeah. Just tons of crack cocaine. And I mean, their fucking mayor smokes crack. Right. So, yeah, beautiful. uh, uh, but anyway, so suffice to say, back to my story, uh, <laughs> I was one, I was one of the only white people in attendance at this show. Right. Um, and it was the kind of crowd where everybody was super fucked up and, uh, it was the type of show where even if somebody bumped into me, I was apologizing. Was that kind of vibe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, about halfway through the show, uh, Raekwon is on stage and he's got probably about, I don't know, I'd say about a third, maybe a little bit more than a third of a bottle of Colbassier in his hands. Yeah. And he, at the end of a song goes, uh, something to the effect of, you know, which y'all motherfuckers want to come up here and, and chug this Colbassier. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, some kid uh, obliges and this kid gets up on stage. Everyone's cheering and going crazy for this kid who looked like he was definitely a college student. He, uh, he looked like he might've been some sort of Mediterranean descent, but certainly not, certainly not a gangster. I'll I'll leave it at that. (laughs) And this kid gets up there and he grabs the Colvassier, uh, from Raekwon's hand and he proceeds to chug it and he kills it. And everyone starts going crazy, and this kid holds the, the empty bottle up in the air and just fucking crashes. Just hits <laughs> the stage like a ton of bricks, just out like a light. And these three large men from the back run out on the stage, drag this kid off the stage, <laughs> and fucking Ray and Ghost like just look like nothing ever happened and just jump right into the next song. It was like it never happened. Beautiful. It was the greatest, uh, greatest thing I've ever witnessed at a concert because I was never lucky enough to uh, to be in person for one of uh, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Octagon's uh, fried chicken breaks. I never got to witness one of those in person. Uh, I'm sure that would have been my best story ever had I witnessed one, but I didn't. So Raekwon Kwasier chugging is my greatest moment ever. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. See you. All right, brother. Late. I would say my memorable, most memorable concert moment would have to have been Swedish House Mafia, only because prior to everything, bro, it was like hell on earth for me. I It was like pouring rain that day, right? And I was coming off from work from El Cajon, so I'm like stupid and rushed, and I told my car, and so you that was already your car? a negative point of it. Yeah, man, I told my car. Ooh. And uh, I was like, dang, dude, you know, that was the way that we were going to get up to go see Swedish House Mafia up in L.A. at can the you, historical park. Can you tell us um, what Swedish House Mafia is for those that don't know? I don't know, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, Swedish House Mafia is basically uh, electronic uh, dance music. Um, okay. Basically, the world now, from what I understand, they're from, I want to say they're from England, but I don't, they're, I don't know. They're from Sweden, of course. Um, basically, electronic music. Um, okay. big rave, you know, raves and stuff like that. That's sure. what it was. It was, okay. it was. It was actually my first rave that I was going to go to. So I'm all excited. I'm like, man, I want to rush to it. And, uh, let alone, you know, I bite the bullet and, you know, I get into a car accident and stuff like that. Ugh. So it was me, my friend and a couple of girls that we were taking with us. So anyways, uh, we, you know, we finally drive up to LA and it was the craziest thing ever because all that morning it was pouring rain. Yeah. And on the drive up there, it was dry, clear, like no rain whatsoever on the way. So I was like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But anyways, so we get to Swedish House Mafia, you know, and like, you know, we're, you know, chilling, partying and stuff like that. And never really been to a rave. And um, just seeing the atmosphere and I didn't know anything about Plur. 
which stands for like peace, love, respect, unity, and you know some other thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was yeah. like, it was really cool though because you know what though, like my whole life I've always heard of like people that rave and stuff like that, and I never really saw the culture of it. Uh-huh. Matter of fact, I was always kind of against it because you know growing up I was really like the whole dare program, like you know kids that do drugs and ecstasy and stuff like that. They're all messed up and stuff like that. But and you know what? And, and it's actually on the contrary. Like it's it was actually pretty pretty pleasant experience. You know, the people were really nice. They were super nice and like really, you know, even though we're probably hocked up on drugs or whatever. Sure. But you know, you you felt it though. Like you felt yeah. the good vibe. You felt like the whole love atmosphere that they always talk about. You know, I, I didn't try any ecstasy or anything like that during the whole thing. I was actually pretty sober. But you could tell though, like some of the people that really went like you know boss the wall with it man they were on something else man they couldn't walk straight you know you saw these really hot cute girls that you would you would want to say like hi to and they're like tripping over themselves you know they're like oh fuck what the hell you know yeah <laughs> you know that was pretty gnarly but you know uh you know I, and i and i i think it was just barely this year that this whole thing happened and um it was actually their last concert that they were gonna have like their uh, final I, one I, What's that? Like their last one ever? Yeah, uh, second to the last one. They were going to do that one, and then they were going to go to Ultra in Florida, which is, uh, you know, a big film, uh, not film, music festival down there for electronic dance music and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That was going to be their last one. Vaj was the second to the last one, and uh, it was pretty nuts, man. Honestly, the vibe, the music, Swedish House Monster killed it. They, they, they absolutely just murdered the whole thing. It was probably the most... And I've been to a few concerts, you know, and, yeah, you know, sure. it was probably the most memorable concert I've ever had to experience, you know, I never really had a, a concert experience where there was fireworks and stuff <laughs> like that, you know, yeah. and the fact that it was like pretty much the whole park that they took up, that was, that was pretty intense, man. You know, there was like, you know, a stage here, a stage there and, you know, and it was cool though, because we thought that the whole rain situation was going to pretty much like clear everybody out. And, you know, not a lot of people were going to want to show up after, you know, after yeah, all. Yeah. But no, actually a bunch of people still came out, you know, and it, it was really up to, up to par what a lot of people were explaining to me, like the whole, like how they dress, you know, they pretty much don't wear anything really at all, you know, they're, and it's like blistering cold outside, bro. So I'm just like, I don't even know how these girls are doing it, you know, uh. um, but that was cool, man. The girls, everything was cool, man. It was a fun experience. And, you know, even, you know, and it, the cool part about it is if I didn't go, I probably, I don't know, just the whole fact that my, I ruined my car and stuff like that would probably neck me out. But it was actually a really good thing that I did go because it, it made me realize that, you know what, man, in life, you know, there's some, you know, there's only, you, you can't miss experiences, you know? kind of of feeling you know that that's one thing that really did open for me that's awesome man thank you so much luis i appreciate you telling your story yeah yeah bro i'll talk to you later all right brother we'll Uh, train soon yeah i'm gonna try to i hurt my back this morning but i'm gonna try to get out there uh cool man i'll be there tonight all right brother thanks this is i've told this story in long form before because this is a whole day long experience um but uh are my levels all right with you yeah you sound good okay cool um yeah, we went to a few years back, uh, me and a whole bunch of my friends, we went out to the uh, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival in San Francisco out in Golden Gate Park. And uh, anybody who's ever been been to Golden Gate Park, it's like a, they have a whole series of kind of just outdoor amphitheaters and stuff. Basically, it was uh, right after I got my Cannabis Club card. Sorry if my camera starts messing up. I got a, my screen on my computer's all jacked up. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't even see you, but it's okay. okay I perfect. can hear you good. Okay, uh but anyways, uh, I just got my cannabis club card, so I had some uh, some good edibles. And my buddies don't uh, don't partake in marijuana at all. Right. Um, and I've obviously have my whole life, you know, on and off for sure, just for jobs or anything like that. So this one, I kind of got back into it myself. So I was back in virgin territory, and uh, <laughs> we we all took down like a four dose sucker, and then passed around about i don't know i want to say two or three joints just walking to the concert from the car yeah to the concert like complete assholes and uh <laughs> we get there and as you walk into this park you know it's it start you just start see people filing into these places and there's about i don't know five or six stages we we're going to see a band called broken social scene and uh there we, we just the <laughs> the the time it took to go find out what stage they were on 
should have given us some indication that you know we weren't necessarily in the right state of mind to be around because there was <laughs> there's probably a hundred thousand people walking around this cool. place yeah you guys have yeah. there's a lot of big festivals in san francisco yeah, you know, and there's always some good ones. Yeah, and that's a good point is uh, even if it sounds like a festival you might not be into, go look at the band list because there's random people that play at this festival, the Strictly, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, which comes up in October. Go check it out. It's a good place to be, good place to get high. And you find new but, stuff, too, that you may not have ever found otherwise. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, so we find our stage, and uh, we start making our way through just, you know, a river, uh, just a river of humans trying to find this amphitheater. And we get there. And it, it's just this big grass bowl and kind of wooded up the sides. It's all grass and it's just full. It's just like a sea of humanity. When, you, when you're walking around on the, the walkway up top, you look down and you, all you see is heads. You know, it just it looks like your standard Woodstock, you know, camera shot from up high. Yeah. You know, especially when you're, you're just, it hasn't even kicked in yet. These suckers we took hadn't even kicked in yet. And we're just kind of, I'm starting to feel a little bit anxious, you know, because it's just, I uh, just, it's, if you've never eaten a really, really strong edible, which you, I'm sure you have, you like to dabble. Yeah, uh, I partake. Uh, but uh, if you're not prepared for what's about to happen to you, it can kind of grab you in kind of a, a wrong way. And especially if you're not uh, used to the feeling of just being super high and eating it is a completely different feeling from smoking it. You know, it, it's totally, it's a lot more psychedelic as far as, you know, you're not seeing stuff, but, you know, it just... You get a lot of different feelings from it. Yeah. And I kind of shut down, you know, so we kind of put our blanket down and we're sitting up on the side of this hill. And my buddy Nicholas, uh, who has never – I don't think he had ever eaten an edible at this point. You know, he smoked with me over the years and uh, – but not not in any uh, big level. So this yeah, is probably yeah. one of the first edibles he'd ever taken. And so <laughs> To condense the story down, I'm just going to tell you kind of my observation of him that day because that's kind of <laughs> okay. all I did yeah. is I sat on my blanket. My wife kind of sat behind me, and she started to realize how fucked up we were and how uh, just completely not control of, of, of our uh, – of our mouths of our bodies and everything we were just going with the flow and she was like okay i need to sit here and kind of get my head right while these guys go on their trip so i just kind of sat there and i watched my buddy nicholas and uh just to give you a little mind picture he he uh you know a lot of people who never met him and, and meet him for the first time they they say he looks like zach galifianakis just because he's a short chubby white dude with a beard <laughs> right you know, and, and he parts his hair to the side Easy and reference. uh he just happens to be one of those guys who enjoys it when people tell him that so oh, that's course. that's him he's just a goofball kind of a dude yeah and he uh he he's standing there and he can't sit down i noticed that's the first thing i noticed that he couldn't sit down he couldn't sit down he kind of kept walking we had like our little area, you know, we had a couple blankets laid down and he just kind of kept pacing. And then he pulls out one of those giant 64 ounce bottles, like a hammer water. Yeah. You know, and, and I watch him put it to his lips. He takes the cap off and he puts it to his lips and he holds it to his lips for probably a good <laughs> two or three minutes without even taking a drink. He just kind of freezes. And that's when it started. And then yeah. I started, that's when I was like, okay, I got to watch him because I got to make sure he's going to be all right. Sure. And in the meantime, my buddy Christopher, who, he does. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't uh, partake in marijuana at all. But he also ate ate the edible. He breaks out a fifth of Jameson, and uh, he he downs a fifth of Jameson within like five minutes. And then he's begging everybody to go down to the main concert floor, like what I'm talking about, like the sea of humanity. And I'm like, yeah. there's no fucking way I'm going down there. Like, and which he, he, <laughs> it shows the total opposites between between cannabis and alcohol. Alcohol. Oh, for yeah. sure. Right. For sure. You know because. It, <laughs> So anyway, so we're we're hiding the other fifth of Jameson from him because when he gets drunk, he doesn't get mean, but he's kind of an overbearing kind of a guy as it is. So yeah, I, I, he's gonna get punched in the face if he goes down in this fucking thing. And I'm not trying to fight anybody for him, and I just don't want to deal with it. So he's like, "Come on, man, you got to go down there with me." And I'm like, "There's no way. You have fun, go." So he goes off on his own, and I just keep watching Nicholas, and and finally he kind of sits down. He sits down next to me and he's just staring. He's trying to stare, you know, kind of trying to focus on something. Because, you know, when you get super high you and you're not ready for it, you're trying to try to focus on things. So whether it's the spins or anxiety or whatever, you try to focus in on one thing to kind of try to calm yourself down. Yeah, but then it makes you feel weird that you're focusing on one thing and then you got to exactly. start hyper-focusing on something else. 
Well, yeah, because you get that sense of, oh man, God, I'm like, I'm what am I, a junkie? I gotta just focus on, I gotta focus on this fucking clock on the wall to keep my shit together. God, what the fuck is the matter with me? God damn it! Like, why didn't I go to college? Why didn't I do this? Yeah, like, yeah. I should have taken that job my dad asked me to take. So you start having all these thoughts, and I know that's what's going through his head because sure. I've been there before. Sure. And, and then uh, my wife and, and and our friend Vern, they have to go to the bathroom. So they're like, okay, we got to go to the bathroom. Like, are you two gonna be okay? Like, if we just leave you right here? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm cool. So they get up, and Nicholas shakes his head. He, he doesn't give him a verbal answer, but he just shakes his head like, yeah, like in, in, in affirming what I said. So they get up, and they leave. As soon as they leave, he scoots over to me as close as he can get. <laughs> We're both sitting Indian style with our shoulders touching, and he just goes, I don't think it was a good idea that they left us here. And I'm like, Nicholas, I'm like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. I'm like, it's no big deal. And it's like at this point, I feel like I'm in like – you know, I'm in a Hunter Thompson novel, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, this isn't real. Like, what? I don't, I don't yeah. think they should have left us here alone. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? It's just, it's just, whatever. But it was totally real for him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was totally real for him. He was freaking out. And then all of a sudden, we look to our right, and there's just this pit bull that walks by with a leash. He's just dragging a leash, right? And, and Nicholas flips out because he kind of turns to the side, and it's one of those things where the dog just sidled up on him, and he was just there. And he turns, he's like, oh! <laughs> oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm like nick calm down calm down i think it's that guy's dog over there and there's this dude just drinking a beer over to the side and nicholas kind of stands up and he's just like who does this who does this dog own who does this dog own <laughs> who does this own and and i'm like nick sit the fuck down i'm like hey bud i'm like is this your dog and he's like yeah yeah he's cool he won't bite you i'm like i know but he's kind of freaking out my buddy over here so the guy comes and gets his dog i'm like you see nick he's fine he's just a dog so Nick sits down. I'm like, I'm like, are you going to be all right, man? We still got to be here for like another three hours. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm okay. He's like, I'm at an 11. I'd be comfortable at about an eight. So then, you know, then it kind of calms down from then on. And obviously, I, like I said, this could be like a, a, a two-hour story if I wanted it to be. Yeah, sure. A, a lot of different angles you could look at it from, especially in the state of mind we were in. But uh, long story short, we get through the concert. It was the longest walk back to the car I've ever ever endured we get in the car my wife drives us home and we're in san francisco we live out in modesto which is about you know about an hour 15 minutes or so without traffic or so from uh, from san francisco and about halfway point in about livermore california nicholas pops his head up from the some from the, he was leaning on the window the whole time he pops up and he goes i'm at an eight for me the sugar hell gang you know, I grew up listening to them because I grew up in New York for a little while. I was born there and I was a kid. And when hip hop started coming out, that was the band. You right. Know? And so um, I had a friend that used to do all the sound for for any like performers or concerts and clubs and stuff. And they were doing this uh, concert at Chris Pacello's new club in Miami, Miami Beach. And so I was able to get in like before any, you know, just the workers and management are in there. Nobody else is in there. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was I was bored because my friend was working and I was pretty much drinking and, you know, <laughs> just hanging out. So I invited a couple friends to come meet me at the club and I get them in and don't worry about it. And I got them in. And, you know, a couple hours go by and we're getting and it was like a hip hop night. So, um, you know, they would sell like 40s and stuff and everybody would be drinking these 40s in and, the bottles, uh, like the old school for like, in the yeah, bottle? yeah, yeah, of course, like the old school yeah. 40s. So, you know, everybody be drinking these old school 40s and, and me, I couldn't go around with a 40. I had to drink out of a cup. You know, I couldn't, right. yeah. I couldn't do the 40 thing. Like, who am I? Eva, love the thug. It's not <laughs> happening, you know? So, um, I'm drinking out of my friends keep on pouring me, you know, the beer into the, you know, red solo cup. Right. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Now the band's on. Oh my God. These are my, my guys from childhood. Holy shit. Hip hop, hip to the hip right? <laughs> And, and so they start pulling girls up on stage, right? Now, these are one of these concerts at a nightclub. So, you know, they only perform like two or three songs and they're out of there. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. This isn't like major concert at the stadium. So they start pulling girls on stage. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going on stage, too. So I like reach up my arm. I get on stage. 
I, I look at what they're looking at and they're looking at a sea of people in this concert, right? Yeah. And I and I'm I'm drunk. I'm I'm way past the point of drunk, right? <laughs> but I got on the stage, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm be I'm I'm like in between two of the members and as I'm singing hip hop with these guys, hip hop, <laughs> hip I'm spilling my beer all <laughs> Nice. All over them. <laughs> all over them. They are getting drenched by me, okay? And that's my story. I spilled beer on the fucking that's Sugar right. Hill gang. Did uh <laughs> and it went on like as at, when I got off of stage, it turned into a really crazy night because then, you know, you break off into different rooms in the club and they're hip hop rooms. And I guess some guy thought I stepped on his toe, but hip hop night for me, I don't really wear high heels. I wear sneakers. You know what I mean? So I get punched in the back by a oh. basketball player and probably one of the new members on Miami Heat. This was like this had to be 15, 16 years ago. OK. Damn. And so I get punched in the back and my friends are kind of short. They're like about five, seven, five, eight, like me. And so when I got punched, I didn't know who, who I got punched by. Yeah. But next thing you know, my friend turns into fucking Bruce Lee in the nightclub. And next thing you know, bouncers are grabbing me and my friends and they're grabbing these basketball players. And we're talking about taking it outside because we're real you know, we're all drinking and, sure. and getting all egotistical. Yeah. So we we get kicked out of the club, right? All of us. And uh, my friends, they had grabbed before me. So I was like running after my friends while they were already, you know, pushing them out of the way. And they had like an elevator and stairwell. So as they're in the elevator taking my friends down, I'm running down this stairwell to the end so I could jump on one of the guys that <laughs> sucker punched me on the back. Oh, and really? now we all get outside and my two friends, they said, let's go toe to toe, you know, like, come on, let it be a square fight. Let's go toe to toe. So my friend ends up dropping this guy because he was a martial arts guy. I didn't know it until that day. Yeah. But he was a martial arts guy and he dropped this basketball player. And this guy was huge, right? And so, um, you know, I'm talking all this shit. Yeah, see, see how it is when you fuck with us. <laughs> that seriously that. sounds like, like an action movie, like oh, yeah. unfolding. It was, it was totally one of the most, I'll never forget. I could have Alzheimer's and I ain't ever going to forget this. I'm telling you. That's I amazing. Mean, this was, this was, a, we still laugh about it. Like when we all see each other, we yeah. all crack up about that night. And I got to tell you something. So this guy, he walks by, he goes, man, you're talking a lot of shit. He goes, are you packing heat? You got to be packing something to be talking that. I said, don't worry about what I'm packing. <laughs> worry about what you're packing. And all of a sudden, my sound man guy, you remember, he was the whole reason we were there. We got in yeah. early and everything, right? My sound man guy comes around the corner, and I hear this guy screaming, Evo, get in the car, get in the car. And it was my friend, the sound guy, <laughs> that got done with the sound and came to rescue me, basically. <laughs> I could just see it, like, squealing the car up to, like, a squelching stop and, like, Never kicking the door open. So drunk, I was deaf. Never heard the guy come up in the car besides when he started screaming, Evo, get it. And I'm thinking, who the fuck knows my name? And I'm looking around, and it's my friend in the car with the getaway car to get me the hell out of there before I get arrested. Right. Yeah, it was, it was hysterical. It's something we, like, we always, when we bump into each other, it's like one of those funny stories that you never, because it was all everything you can imagine in one night you're seeing you're seeing your childhood memories the band that you grew up with uh -huh. you get on stage with the band you pour beer all over the band you go into another room to go dance you get punched in the back you're in a fist fight you get kicked out of the club and now you know you're talking shit outside of the club and so your friend comes and you laugh about it the next day you know it was it was hysterical Used to live in New York, so I went 
to a lot of concerts and we used to go to CBGB's a lot because that's where everybody played and it was cheap and they would let me in even though I was under 21 and served me beer so of course I went um, you know the band Daz Daman if if you li- they were on um, Thurston Moore's a static piece label mm-hmm. and if you went to any shows at CBGB's from like I want to say like 86 to like 91 you had no choice but to see them because they were just one of those bands that were on every single like Wednesday night lineup yeah. and they were, ter- were terrible <laughs> they were like this awful prog nightmare they were awful they they were like the long guitar drum solo like if you just like look up like long drawn out masturbatory in the dictionary there should be a picture of jim walters who is the guitarist from das Daman. anyway since they were always there they would play on the stage like it was in their living room and i remember one day well one night i don't even remember who they were opening for because they played before everybody yeah jim walters was on stage running around barefoot which happened a lot but you'd think barefoot cbgb is not a good idea yeah and anyway like excess needles and shit it's rule number one don't go to the bathroom at CB's rule number two, don't go barefoot at CB's and then you're going to go home. Yeah. So anyway, like they were on stage and going through one of their ridiculous guitar solos and Jim Walters is hopping around on stage looking like some, you know, somebody just walked off of a fish concert and he jumps up at one point and comes down on the stage and lands on a nail, which was sticking up through the floor. Oh, and to this day, I have never seen, except for this one time, a human face crumple. <laughs> like, it looked like a piece of paper that just went like... Like, he turned, like, ash white, and blood starts shooting out of his foot, but the band didn't stop playing of for, course. like, another two minutes. <laughs> until people realized, oh, shit, you know, we should stop. But this went on for, like, two minutes. And that's still the best thing I've ever seen at a concert, period. Let alone the best thing I've ever seen happen with Daz Dahman. Oh man, now We're down, down, down by the docks of the city Thank you. 